Welcome to The Watershed, a podcast that explores relationships between people and water through shared storytelling. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit and community engagement program that engages with water through multiple ways of knowing, scientific and social, political and historical, intellectual and spiritual. The Watershed is a place where everyone is welcome because we are all connected by water. Thank you for joining us. In honor of the stories shared during our 2020 to 2021 tour, and in anticipation of new journeys to come, The Watershed will be presenting a series of six episodes drawing upon generous storytellers from Morris, Mankato, St. Paul, Rochester, Chisholm, and Pipestone, Minnesota. Last episode, we explored the intersection of water, place, and identity, how water shapes who we are and how we relate to the place that we live in. Today, in our second episode of this series, we take a step further in considering water's ability to shape with stories about the power of water. Why do we go to the water? Being by water can make us feel certain ways. Lounging on a lake shore might bring you a sense of calm, or meandering along a river might conjure for you a sense of peace or contemplation. Hoping to find respite and restoration during the COVID-19 pandemic, the Bejir family came from Iowa City to visit Zumbro River. I just like looking at the river and breaking the ice because it's really fun to just take a stick and slam it in that ice. My name's Jackie Bijer, and then my son Max Bijer and husband Mathieu Bijer. We just needed to get outside. We drove, just found a place on Google that we thought looked good. We wanted to get to, down towards a river because the boys wanted to play on some frozen river. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> We're a hearty family, and the winter's always been our happy time anyway. We're close-knit and do stuff together. Flooding and, you know, walking through the woods, our normal hikes. We took the trail along the, up on the bluff here, along the river, looking down. And we found lots of animal tracks, and we took pictures so we could see if we identify them later. I like to do hikes at sunset, too, because with the light reflecting down on the water, it's therapeutic, especially during the pandemic, just to be out in nature, the forest bathing, the river bathing. Uh, my name is Mathieu and I uh, live in Iowa City with my rest of my little family. I originally came from Brittany, France. I was born less than a mile from the ocean in France and I think it doesn't matter how big of a body of water it is. like. It's water, like there's something about the flow, whether it's a wave or whether here, you know, the origin of the water and where it's going. It's just, it's has, it has its own story. Jackie Bijer speaks to the therapeutic power of water, how the act of soaking in water's beauty and observing what surrounds us can leave us feeling a little better, a little more refreshed than before. Her sons found a different kind of therapy from the water through the form of fun and laughs. We can all get something different out of our experience with water. How water is healing for you might be different from how water is healing for another. 
Water has the power to heal the spirit, but importantly, it also has the power to heal the body. Sarah Dekut from Mankato reflects on water's physical nourishment. My name is Sarah Dekut. Um, I am from Mankato, currently living in Mankato. I have a son who is nine years old and a little collie terrier dog named Lily and a lot of houseplants and affinity for being outside. My mom had uh, uh, solved every problem with water. Do you have a headache? Do you need some water? Are you tired? Do you need some water? You're crabby. Do you need some water? And so I think at my very core, and I don't even know what percent the human body is of water, but it's like a ridiculous amount. So I think at my core, I feel very connected to water because humans are made of a lot of water. <laughs> and so I would say um, my mom insisting on like bringing water, honestly, anywhere in grade school, she always had her own big water bottle. And I was, I was thinking through all this and thinking how bringing bringing water places is like symbolic to me of like everything's going to be okay um because if i have water i'm fine like i remember going on you know grade school field trips and getting like the worst headaches the worst stomach aches and until i started bringing water with me then i could be more successful so in that sense i would say that's been like since grade school i mean that's my answer for everything is drink some water Sarah remembers how her mom turned to water for just about every reason. Water became a way of solving problems, of taking care of one another. From this experience, water for Sarah came to symbolize safety and reassurance. As Sarah grew older, new adventures with water expanded its meaning for her. I would say, like on an emotional and like life way um a few years ago i went down the river for the first time it was probably like four years ago we went with a group in mankato called bet river outfitters we rented some boats from them and they're like dropped my family off we had no idea what we were doing and they said do you guys want to try a paddleboard so we grabbed a paddleboard and my son was probably like was he probably four at the time i don't think he came with that time but i had had I had my son at 19. So it took me a few years to get used to like parenting and myself again. And everybody my age was going through a lot of different things. And so I remember that time down the river, standing up on that paddleboard for the first time and feeling like I am powerful. I'm a mom and I can go down the river. And I remember being like, I want this to be something I can just do. And by the next year, I went down a few more times and probably now two years ago, I bought a kayak and if I, if I have a friend who wants to go down the river, like, I know what I'm doing now. And that was, like, the most um, significant realization in the past few years has been just that feeling of being able to hop on the river, hop on some water, and um, just take that time for myself or show somebody else an adventure. Sarah's story shows us how water can empower and expand our sense of self and what we perceive ourselves capable of doing. For Sarah, experiencing water's power on the river from the paddleboard and kayak allows her to tap into her own power and agency. Sarah recalls water's presence at different milestones in her life. We can use water to mark significant moments in our lives in other ways as well. In this story, Nathan Lamb from Pipestone speaks to how he uses water to perform a baptism. Uh, well, my name is Nathan Lamb. Three years ago, I was called to serve the Presbyterian Church here in Pipestone. As a pastor, 
when I heard of this project, I automatically went into our sacramental understanding of water and how we place importance on water, not just for what it can do for us, but how it represents God's activity in the world to us. So when I do a baptism, one of the things I do is kind of stir the water, even as I'm praying over it, to remind us, again, of, of the movement of water, how God moves through through our lives, and to remind us also that that water that's in that bowl doesn't come from a special place. It It's a common source of water. And I... I remember uh, one time having an elder who was helping me with communion, asking where we got the baptism water. And I think he was really disappointed when I said from the faucet, <laughs> you know, you think, oh, there's a special place. But we are, again, actually told in our book of worship that the water should come from a common source. And then afterwards, after the baptism's over, in our tradition, we sprinkle. Um, I return the water back to the earth by pouring it out. There are actually some church traditions that have a special room called the sacristy, where they prepare sacraments, and they might have a drain in there. And that drain doesn't go into the sewer system. It drains, you can find it somewhere on the outside of the building, right back to the ground. So once the water's been blessed, we return it back to the source so it can be a blessing um, to others in that way as well. Nathan describes how each action within the ritual of baptism is charged with meaning, from the stirring of the water to the acknowledgement of the common source that the water comes from. Water can hold symbolic power for us, depending on how we choose to interact with it. There are many ways we can bless or give thanks to the water that we use, whether that be through a simple moment of gratitude or performing ritual with water. Or, as Nathan goes on to share, we can feel the power of water simply by taking a moment to meditate on all that it influences. Uh, all organisms are made up of water. Yes, you might have to find a well to have water to drink, and some water isn't fit to drink until it's processed. But if you really look around out here on the prairie, you do see water everywhere, and you see life. And I'm just always amazed, even when you look in those cracks in the the driveway or the sidewalk. I mean, plants grow out of there. They have to, how do they get the water <laughs> and all that that they need? But they find it and they grow. And and to me, that's a very spiritual thing is that God created abundance. Water as an essential element of life and growth helps connect Nathan to the miracle and abundance of life. One of the powers of water's fluidity is that it can hold many meanings, from strength or adaptability to gentleness or grace. And as much as water can be a gathering point of many meanings, Nathan also reminds us how water can be a gathering point for many people. As Nathan expressed, humans have a way of finding water wherever they go. As something we all need and can all relate to, water has the power to bring people together across difference. One of the things that I uh, was thinking about, too, is how uh, when we go and uh, travel, like so many of the places we go are places where there is water. Water just attracts people. And, and here in Minnesota, Pipestone County, what is, I think, the only county in Minnesota that doesn't have a natural lake. And yet we find ways to go to the water, whether it's the Quarry Lake here. There's it's so fun in the summer. The kids go there and fish. And, and last year they did a play by the water there, that little pond. And then over um, at the state park, you know, people find the water and that's where people gather. 
and again, as a person of faith, uh, those places of gathering are very important to me, and uh, that represents uh, the community that we're called to be, uh, and that oh, anything that brings us together, anything that has the possibility of bringing people together across boundaries of, of class and and uh, race, language, anything like that to me is very important in this world. And I see water having that power. Water also has the power to bring us together in times of crisis. As Janice Stompke describes when the Zumbro River flooded her town of Hammond, Minnesota in 2014. It was September 23rd and 24th of 2010. Yeah, that was quite a day. We went to bed that night. It had been raining. The river was coming up. And then we got up and we went and sandbagged until about 2.30 in the morning, just about a block from our house. And the Elgin Fire Department people that were there helping us sandbag said, you know, it's only going to come up a little bit more. You can go home. And that was 3.30 in the morning. So we had gone back home thinking, well, we'll just go to bed, we'll get up in the morning, the water will be receding. About a half an hour after we got home, there were people knocking on the door asking if my husband could open the back room of the bar because they couldn't get to their houses any longer. At about 6.30, 7 o'clock, I got up and the water was over the road east of the bridge and the bar and west of our house. The fire department showed up at my door and said, you have to leave. And I was actually on my way to walk over to the bar to see what was going on. My husband came out the back door and the water wasn't high enough to be in the bar yet, but it was covering the road between where he was and where I was. He locked up and came through the water. And my husband is six foot tall and it was chest deep. We got to the house grabbed clothes, jumped in his truck, and drove through the yards west of our house to actually get out of town. We get to the west edge of town, and I asked the sheriff's department, I said, well, where can we go? And they said, well, they're setting up a shelter in Mazeppa. And I said, you know we can't get to Mazeppa from here, right? Everything between Hammond and Mazeppa was flooded. These friends took us in that night, and we both went to bed just praying that our house would be saved because we knew the bar was a loss. At first, you're just kind of numb. Being on the city council, I had to manage the city. I couldn't deal with my home. I couldn't deal with the bar because as a, a city official, my primary responsibility was making sure that the residents were taken care of, that there was as much open communication as we could. The problem that happens with a small town like Hammond is we lost, I think in the end it was 17 properties. So the city loses tax revenue and then becomes the owner and you gain the cost of maintaining property that nobody can build on and you can't do anything with but mow the grass. The sheer physical force of water has the power to destroy the structures that we have built and call home. Minnesota has been seeing more damaging rains recently. Large area mega rains have been four times more common after the year 2000 compared to previous years. Mega rain events and flash flooding put an enormous financial burden on our communities destroying homes and businesses, damaging our infrastructure, 
contaminating drinking water, and causing physical injuries and even death. These hazards create physical, mental, and emotional challenges for us Minnesotans. While water can indeed give us life, Janice's story shows us how it can also give us loss. But despite the damage, Janice stayed with her community and even married her husband on the beach along the Zumpro. We actually had several people come up to us at our wedding and say, I can't believe that you got married on the river that destroyed your town. And I looked at them and I said, was it the river's fault? I mean, it's a river. It's a part of nature. You know, there were a lot of very distraught people and there were a lot of people that were very upset at the river. And there were some people that moved away because they were mad that the river had done this to them. I am not one of those people. The river is the river. Janice calls herself a survivor, not a victim. Even though water has the power to destroy, Janice reminds us how water doesn't have anything against us. And yet, it's understandable that members of Janice's community chose to leave the river behind because of the pain that it caused them. How, then, can we respect the very thing that can wreak havoc on our community? How do we choose to relate to water after it has affected us in negative ways? We can't just drop that relationship. We'll always need to depend on water. It can be powerful, however, to shift our relationship with it. Janice adopts a stance of remembering that water is a part of nature, moving on its own course. We can carve space to both celebrate and mourn the ways that water has affected us. In addition to the lived relationship we can experience with water, we can also get to know the waters around us through the stories that are passed down to us. While We Are Water visited the Hmong Museum, Terry Tao took the time to share how Hmong folklore shows up in places in St. Paul, cautionary tales that highlight the power and lure of water. Terry begins with reflections on the well-known superstition that a dragon dwells in Lake Phelan. Hmong folks have traditionally told stories that attribute drownings and water disappearances to giant water dragons called jaw that navigated below the water's calm surface. The two stories that came to mind mm-hmm. for water was first, does it have a life? Because, and it's funny because I live right by Lake Phelan. Oh. And we all know in the home community in St. Paul, there's stories of, you know, the Bouja, right? The dragon <laughs> that lives in Lake Phelan. Yes. That drowned monk kids many years ago, right? Uh-huh. Johnny, you know, and, um, you know, where monk kids would drown. And I think, um, but there's also, my mother would also say too, like for women, like, you know, like you weren't supposed to, like go into the water, you know, if you were, you know, if that was at that time of the month, because there were like, you know, not only was the dusha, the, the water that would drown you, but there was like spirits that could invade your body. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these myths around how we interact with water, water too. So meaning water has its own, you know, like spirits, you know, and we, you know, and so, um, so I, like when I think about that, it's, it's really strong with, you know, my memories of it and, and in water, but it's so interesting because, you know, as a kid, we love water. Like, I would go swimming mm-hmm. it all the time. You know, we love swimming, right? And so, and, and home kids in particular love swimming. They don't know how to swim, but they love swimming, right? <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah. they love the water. And so, um, I just I just find that so interesting contradiction. Uh, <laughs> in Hmong culture, where elders have orally passed down folk tales over the centuries, dragons play a prominent role 
with the power to shapeshift to fishes, humans, and countless other forms. Long-held beliefs around dragons and water spirits have influenced stories that Hmong people tell today in places like St. Paul. Lake Phelan has gained a place among these stories, and Terry reflects on the features and memories of the lake that have shaped the stories her people tell. Well, the thing about Phelan is that it's really deep in the middle, mm-hmm. and so I think that's also a piece too, is there's a bit pretty steep drop-offs, which is why they they said that there's a dragon, but because it gets, you know, really dark and murky and you can't see, see it. So some of it's based on, like, actual, like, geology facts, right? And so, um, but but what happened, I think part of it, too, is so, and they would go, the kids would go out and play. The reason, and oftentimes the kids would drown in pairs, right? Because mm-hmm. it would be the younger brother and then the older brother would try to save them and then he, they would drown, too. And mm-hmm. so, um, and it just, it happened so much when we first moved here, that I think that's where people really, you know, and, and you know, most people, we, you know, we always had a way of understanding the world. And so, um, so that just became, you know, um, you know, and definitely those who get changed, you know, right? And so believe that everything has a spirit. So, you know, I, that's, to me, that's what I, I would often remember. And so that they would always be, be very careful, right? And so, and, and even now you still hear, unfortunately, you still hear stories of no people, many children who drown. Terry observes how Lake Phelan's unique geology and the history of Hmong people in St. Paul have shaped the story of the Lake Phelan dragon. Dangerous encounters with water can affect us in powerful ways. The memory of a scary experience can stay with us, and that energy can stick around in future interactions we have with water. And the story of the Lake Phelan dragon has certainly influenced Terry, driving her to be careful around the water. But the energy we feel from water can take other forms as well. Gabrielle Drapo talks about the energy that's projected from the Pipestone National Monument, a sacred land where indigenous tribes have long quarried pipestone for prayer pipes. Um, my name is Gabrielle Drapo. We are right now in Ward, South Dakota. I'm enrolled in the Yankton Sioux Tribe. Pipestone has been just this really sacred and important place through like my whole life growing up so close and going there. If you're enrolled, you just got to show your ID, you can get a permit and you can go into the quarry. And it's just really good that um, at the monument, us rangers make sure that native peoples that come in and indigenous peoples know that that's available to them and that's theirs and ours. So that's what's important. And I mean, if it's there and we can access it, we will, because that's, it's, what we do is what we've been doing for over 3,000 years. The original story that Gabrielle shares has shaped the way that people have chosen to relate to Pipestone as a sacred place. Sacred places can feel powerful, as Gabrielle speaks to when describing the experience of visitors coming to Pipestone for the first time. Um, there's lots of different origin stories around Pipestone and like everything, but the one that I've heard is that there was a really big flood and it ended up killing a bunch of people. And then their blood seeped down into the stone and turned it red. And then Wakantanka Tukashina came down and he gathered all the peoples in the area to Pipestone. He gathered them to that spot and said, this is the blood of your relatives. This is the blood of your people. This is sacred and it's for everyone. Like there's no, there won't be any fighting here. This is a sacred space, so respect it. 
and just appreciate it. So use this in your ceremonies and use it to pray. Well, I work in the interp department, so uh, that's interpretation. So I'm the ones at the front desk that you see when you come in. They give guided tours and talks and put on programs and uh, you can ask questions. And we do a lot of like behind the scenes research and stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun. So we're more the visitor interaction part of everything. Um, people come in and they ask, me, are you Indian? I say, yes, I'm Native American. And then they ask me what reservation I'm from. And then I tell them my tribal affiliation and... That's, that's it, and I point to it on the map because we have a map behind the front desk. I'm like, that's that's mine. It's my reservation. A lot of people come in and they say that was just beautiful. And, the, and people don't expect it because it's a, such a small area and it's just a three-quarter mile long loop. I mean, it's less than a mile. But they come out and they go and walk the trail and they come back and they're just, they just seem relaxed and different and like they just, they've, They've hit that connection with the spot. So, I mean, I think that's great. There's energy there. It's an energy hotspot. It's it's that center of like our, our universe or like our world. That's that's where it is. It's where you go to get what you need in order to pray and be able to have that spiritual connection. So, I mean, it's it's. It's in the ground, it's in Mother Earth there, it's in the water, it's in the trees, it's in the air, it's in everything. It's a sacred spot. Certain places can make us feel more connected, and whatever way connected means for us. Gabrielle shows us how our environment, the earth, water, and life that surrounds us holds energy that we can pick up on. The stories we heard today showed us how the waters we reside by, depend upon, and seek out for solace have the power to move and change us. In the show notes, we've provided a link to further reflective questions that you can spend time on, whether with your own self or in conversation with friends and family. The water themselves are changing, too. In the next episode, We'll listen to stories about the ways water's familiar patterns have started to shift and how those changes affect our relationship with water. But in the meantime, may you let yourself be moved by the life-giving power of water and find ways to care, replenish, and connect through water's many forms. I'm your host, Megan Reich, signing off. If you enjoyed The Watershed and would like to support our work, please consider sharing this podcast and leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Special thanks to Leia Lim, Chambury Lee, and Aaron Dorbin, who conducted the interviews in this series. The Watershed is a project of We Are Water Minnesota, a traveling exhibit about water and people. We Are Water Minnesota is led by the Minnesota Humanities Center in partnership with the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, the Minnesota Historical Society, the Minnesota Departments of Agriculture, Health, and Natural Resources, and University of Minnesota Extension. We Are Water Minnesota receives support from the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Amendment and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The Watershed is hosted by Megan Reich, a Minnesota Green Corps member serving with We Are Water Minnesota. You can visit us January 20 through February 28, 2022 at the Minnesota State Capitol in St. Paul, where we are showcasing the history and successes of the program. 
You can follow We Are Water Minnesota on Facebook and Twitter at WeAreWaterMN. Thank you.